We live in a world that defines love as unqualified affirmation. Just tell me the good stuff. Uh, just pat me on the back. Tell me how great I'm doing. Don't tell me that there's things that need to be worked on and that there's brokenness in my life. And at the same time, uh, love is conditional. Love is defined by what have you done for me lately. And all this just leaves us feeling confused. Confused and wondering if love really can be real. And when we gather for worship, we are being reminded that love is absolutely real. And that love is a person. And that love has come to us in Jesus. And in Jesus, Jesus looks at us and he says, You belong to me and I am at work in your heart and in your life to turn your brokenness into beauty. Hear this conversation that our Jesus had with the Father about us, about you and me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Let's stand together and sing and praise our God whose steadfast love endures forever. If you have a copy of the scriptures with you this morning, if you would turn with me to uh, 1 Corinthians 12. Um, and as you're turning there, and it, it'll also be on the screen behind me, and it's also printed for you in your bulletin too. Um, yet this year, uh, we, have been, uh, we have been thinking about together uh, what it looks like uh, for us to pursue our first love together. Uh, pursuing our first love. And we wanted to tie that theme into a short Advent series um, that we're going to do, taking a look at, uh, at 1 Corinthians, the end of 1 Corinthians 12, and then into some of 1 Corinthians uh, 13. And then Dave is going to preach on Revelation 12 for us tomorrow night. Um, and thinking about that, the advent of Jesus, the coming of Christ, that and, uh, and his continued presence with us uh, and his promise that he's going to come again and he's going to make all things new. So uh, we're going to cap off the year looking at probably uh, what, uh, what we would consider the most well-known love passage uh, in all of Scripture uh, at 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, but we're going to start at the end of chapter 12 because that helps situate uh, what we see in 1 Corinthians 13. So I'm going to read this to us, um, and I'm actually going to ask uh, if we would stand um, together. We don't do this very often, but I'd love for us to stand together to, to read God's Word. Um, and in so many ways, we are, uh, in doing this, we are lining ourselves up um, with Christ's church throughout the centuries. Um, and this is, uh, this is God's Word for us uh, this morning. This is this is God expressing how much he cares for you and how much he loves you and how much he loves me. 
but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You guys can be seated. I'm going to pray for us. Let's ask the Lord to help us understand uh, His Word this morning. Uh, Father, we come here as Your people uh, in Your presence at Your compelling us and bringing us together. Uh, to worship you in spirit and in truth. And so as we come to that part of worship that you have formed and shaped for us and in us, of looking at your word and turning over the the stones that are there uh, to see the beauty of the gospel, that in your love you have given us Jesus. And that in Jesus there really is a more excellent way Uh, So we pray that you would be with us this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would help us um, to understand uh, what Jesus has really, uh, really done, really come and done into this world. Would you work that deeper and deeper into our hearts? And would you help us to see that you are the kind of God that rejoices over us, that smiles upon us? Uh, And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, I would venture to say that as, uh, as I just read those words from 1 Corinthians 13 to you, that for most of us, our familiarity with this passage uh, is hearing it read at, at weddings. Uh, we often hear this passage uh, read at weddings, and for good reason. Uh, Paul really expounds upon um, what love is and what love looks like. Uh, But our task this morning is to understand the depth of what Paul is getting at. You see, because Paul writes this passage in the midst of talking about relationships inside of the body of Christ, inside uh, of the church. Of course, marriage is a part of those relationships, but this is bigger and broader uh, than just marriage. And so we have to dig a little into the background of the church at Corinth to understand what Paul is getting at. And here are some things that we know about the church of Corinth that they placed a high value on, okay? I'm going to say three things to us. Gifting, knowledge, and presentation. The church at Corinth placed a high value on those things, gifting. The Apostle Paul has just spent the previous chapter in 1 Corinthians 12 um, showing the people at Corinth that they care more about gifts than they do the one who has given them those gifts. Uh, Knowledge. Earlier in his letter uh, uh, to to the church at Corinth here in 1 Corinthians 8, Paul tells the church at Corinth that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. They placed a high value on knowing things and knowledge. Then presentation. 
Uh, At the very beginning of this letter, the Apostle Paul even points out to the church at Corinth that they preferred pastors other than him because he wasn't exactly all that eloquent at speaking and all that great at presenting himself um, to people. And so he points out to them that that actually uh, really doesn't mean anything. Uh, The presentation that we we have, the eloquence that we have... Uh, And in so many ways, as we think about this, as we think about gifting and knowledge and presentation and placing a high value on those things, doesn't that sound a lot like the world that we live in? I mean, doesn't that sound like a lot of our our own temptations to put our gifts forward, to put our knowledge forward, um, to present ourselves eloquently and really well? And what's true is that as we dig down deep into those things, what we see is that those things are, they're not enough. They're not enough. We're left wanting more than that. Uh, And what Paul is showing us in this passage today is that in Jesus we get more. We get the, the very thing that our hearts are wanting and longing for. The gospel actually changes the way that we live and the way that we interact with others and have relationships. And what Paul is showing us is that Jesus is a more excellent way to live. That's why we started with verse 31 of chapter 12. And Paul lays that out for us by showing us a couple of things. Showing us our way, and then he's going to show us the way of love. So let's start with, uh, with our way. In verses 1 through 3, Paul lays out uh, our way of living for us. And we could boil this down really to, to one word. And that word is, is flaunting. Flaunting. In verse 1, the Apostle Paul looks at the church and he says, Look, you're flaunting your gifts. You're flaunting your gifts. Paul has spent all of chapter 12 sort of laying all that out to them. And now he kind of doubles down on that and says that you are flaunting your spiritual gifts. Um, And he's speaking specifically about those things that have a very visual presence to them. Um, speaking in the tongues of men and in the tongues of angels. Now, we don't know exactly uh, what that is uh, here in this context, but here's what we, knew, what we do know, is that those gifts were being used in such a way as to draw attention to self, um, to make oneself uh, look gifted, look talented in front of, Uh, of people, uh, had a significant capacity to draw attention to oneself. And Paul is accusing them of exercising this gift of speaking in the tongues of men and angels so that others would just see them using that gift and would make much of them. In verse 2, the Apostle Paul uh, looks at them and says, look, you're also flaunting your knowledge as well too. Uh, Corinth is a place that prioritized knowledge and knowing about the deep things of life. And Paul is showing us that there were people in the church doing sort of the kind of the, um, the one-up game with, with intellect. You know, you've been in these situations before where you get into a conversation where there's a couple of really smart people. Um, that's never happened to me. Uh, but, and, you, and you have this one-upsmanship of how much I know versus how much you know. And, and you just kind of keep going at it. I know more. I understand more. And even, he's even saying to them that there are people who are saying, I even have more faith than you do. 
I even have more faith than you do. I have the kind of faith that moves mountains. Look at me. Paul's telling them that they're flaunting this, this knowledge. The third thing that we see Paul tells them that they're flaunting is they're flaunting their sacrifice. Verse 3, um, we see that there was a spirit of giving in the church there at Corinth that others would see uh, that sacrifice and would heap praise on them. That they would give out of a sense of saying, look at me, look at how much I am giving, look at how much uh, I give, and pat me on the back uh, for doing that. They were even flaunting their sacrifice. And Paul, and Paul even goes on to say that even if you were to give up your own body and not do that in love, that that's nothing. So they were flaunting their gifting, their knowledge, and their sacrifice. As I was thinking about these, these three different things, there was uh, experiences that kind of came to my mind um, thinking about this. And this is going to really, sound really poor, but the, the, the thing that, that was highlighted most in my mind was my experience uh, in seminary, uh, which you would think, you know, of all places, you know, for gifting and knowledge and sacrifice to be flaunted, uh, men studying to go and to be uh, in the ministry, but I, I can remember so many times like being in, in Greek or in Hebrew, and, and we, had, we had guys who were really, really, really smart, and, um, and we would get tests back. And I can remember uh, the guys who wanted to make sure that everybody knew how well they did on that test, you know, how gifted they were, how talented they were at understanding uh, the original um, languages. Um, or the person who was in class who always had their hand up to answer all of the questions because we all needed to see how much that that person knew. Or even sitting um, in, the, uh, in the seminary common area with, with several other seminarians and all of us getting together to play the one-upsmanship game at whose life was the hardest and how much each of us was really sacrificing to be here and, and, and to do this. Yeah, I know, I mean, it sounds crazy, but... But that, that was a lot of what that was like. You know, what's, what's true is that we've all kind of, we've been on the receiving end of this, haven't we? I mean, we've all been uh, in places where um, someone's gifting and their knowledge was really pressed upon us. You know, where, where your thoughts and your opinions and your knowledge and your gifting is not acknowledged at all, but it's just sort of bulldozed right over. Because we're in the presence of greatness. Yeah. Um, and I know, I've certainly been on the receiving end of flaunting sacrifice. Where I'd better appreciate and acknowledge what's being done for me. It makes us feel unworthy. It makes us feel ashamed. Even at the end of the day. But you know if we look at these three verses. If we slow down and we take a closer look. Do you notice that Paul doesn't let anyone off of the hook of being guilty here? Every pronoun used in these verses is first person singular. Paul is literally implicating himself as he writes these words. And if I think back on my seminary experience, if I'm honest, when I got that good grade, man, there were certainly people that I wanted to make sure saw that. And when I thought that I, I knew something that maybe somebody else wasn't aware of or didn't know, 
I was going to make sure that that, that that was seen and that that was known. And believe you me, sitting at that table as we stirred the pot together of who's sacrificing more, I had so much more to sacrifice than everybody else. You know, Paul states these things here for us, not to say that gifts and knowledge and sacrifice are, are bad or wrong within themselves. But he is saying, if they are not exercised in love, then they are quite literally nothing. They're nothing. It doesn't matter how many gifts we have, how much knowledge we have, how much we are sacrificing. If all of that is exercised just to make people look at us, just to make much of ourselves, then Paul says it's nothing. It's nothing. You know, we sit here this morning and we read this and we talk about this. And what's true is, and I'm going to venture to say this, we're all guilty of this. So what now? Like, what do, we do, what do we do with that? Well, Paul shows us where to go and what to do. In verses 4 through 7, Paul shows us a more excellent way. And the way Paul talks about that is the way of love. The way of love. Verses 4 through 7, Paul shows us the way of love by telling us what love is not and what love is. Let's let this wash over us again one more time. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things, love hopes all things, and love endures all things. I want us to first take a look at the things that Paul says love is not. Okay, and we'll do some quick hits here. First thing Paul says love is not is that it's not envious. It doesn't wish that it was something other than what it is. It's not envious. Love is happy to receive God's good gifts and to use them to strengthen others. And to give God glory. Love's not boastful. It's not about self. It's not about trying to draw attention to self and, and what I'm doing and what I'm bringing to the table. Love's not arrogant. It doesn't think of oneself as better than others. It's not interested in always getting the credit all the time. Love is not rude. It doesn't treat others as if it's your job to serve me. That that's the reason that you exist in the world. is to serve me, to serve my wants, to serve my needs. It doesn't insist on its own way. Love's not a bulldozer that doesn't care about what's around them, but just, just plows right over. Love isn't irritable. It's not always annoyed all the time. Love is not resentful. It doesn't hold grudges and focus on what I do or do not have. Love also doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. I think this one is kind of a twofold thing. Love uh, doesn't say no big deal to sin. It doesn't encounter sin and say, ah, well, no big deal. Let's not worry about that. Let's just move on. 
But love also doesn't play the gotcha game with sin either. Love doesn't relish catching someone in sin so that we can feel more holy than others. It doesn't rejoice over wrongdoing. And we see those things of what love is not couched in and surrounded by what the Apostle Paul says that love is. Love is patient. You know, I feel like if you're, if you're a human being, um, let's say that, we all say that we struggle with patience, with being patient. And I think that oftentimes when I think about patient, what I think patience is, is me being able to make it through something without losing my temper or getting frustrated. Uh, that's often how I tend to think about patience. Uh, we are going through the process right now, um, Judah and I are going through the process right now of him learning how to tie his shoes. And if you ever helped anyone tie their shoes, um, you, know, you know that that process is a process, right? Um, and I can have a tendency to think to myself that if I can just make it through this session of trying to help Judah figure out how to, you know, to wrap it around and to, to, to tighten it and then to make the loop, and, and you got to stay closer to the, in, to, to the inside of it, not on the outside. That's not going to work. Um, and if I can make it through that without, like, losing my temper at him, or I'll even dig down and say getting frustrated on the inside, then, oh, man, ha, patience, I've got this thing whipped. Um, but that's not really patience, actually. Because at the end of the day, that is a, the focus is still really on me and what I'm doing and somehow what I can accomplish. The idea that Paul is getting at here with patience is a genuine desire to be with someone as they process life and what's happening around them. To genuinely want to be with them. To, in, to genuinely enjoy being with someone as you help them learn through the process of tying their shoes. Or as you sit with them as hard things are happening in their life. And they just know that you're there. And to just genuinely want to be with them. To genuinely be with them in the process of learning and growing. Because you know that that stuff is going to build their confidence. You know that learning how to tie your shoes is going to build your confidence and, and, show, and show them that, that practice matters and that hard work are worth giving time to grow in. And then the Apostle Paul connects patience with kindness. And there's no mistake here, I think, that Paul puts patience and kindness together because we are to relate to people from the standpoint of understanding that others have to be patient with us too. Oftentimes we think about patience as I'm having to be patient, patient with someone else. But Paul puts kindness in here to show us that no, others have to be patient with us too. We're going through our own process as well. And as Jesus works patience into us, we're considering the reality that we all have to go through our own process and that we would want others to relate to us kindly in that. And that we desire to take that posture towards others as well too. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love rejoices at truth. We 
You see that in verse 6. Love desires to see the gospel at work in the midst of our sin and brokenness. It doesn't just look over sin. It doesn't throw sin in someone's face. But it's there in the midst of sin, in the midst of brokenness, helping us see how beautiful and believable Jesus is. That He's healing our brokenness. That He's given His life for our sin. Love rejoices in the truth. It rejoices in the gospel being in the midst of brokenness and sin. And not just looking over it and not throwing it in people's faces. In verse 7, Paul says that love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. And it endures all things. Love shoulders burdens together. It believes that God is at work in our lives. It places hope in Christ. It endures. It's lasting. It's like a fine wine that just gets better and richer with age. That's what love is. And I don't know about you, but I, I read this way of love. We read this way of, of love and and we're, kind of, we're confronted with the, the reality that there are, there are still things that Jesus is changing in us. And there are still things that need to be changed in us as well. Because here's what's true. We've all had moments where we have been patient and kind. Where we've entered into relationships and genuinely desired to be with people as they process what's going on. And we've genuinely been kind because we've realized that other people have to bear with us and be patient with us as well too. We have, we have all experienced being with people and, and helping, to want to, helping people to want to see the gospel in the midst of their brokenness and sin. But you know what else is true? At least for me, I know that there are times that I've held grudges. Um, I often wonder if my children think that they just annoy me all the time. I've bulldozed. I've insisted that my way is the only way. Just ask Carrie. She can give you many examples. I have harbored desires for all of the credit. And that people would notice me and what I'm bringing to the table. But if we think that this passage is ultimately about us and how we are somehow living up to or not living up to this love list, then we've missed the point of this passage, beloved. You see, what Paul is showing us here is that this passage is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. That Jesus is the more excellent way that he talks about in verse 31 of chapter 12. That Jesus is the way of love. Let's think about Jesus back through every verse in this passage. Verse 1. The tongues of angels and men. Jesus is the word from heaven made flesh and dwelling among us. And yet he remains silent in love on the cross instead of flaunting his gift. 
Jesus is our prophet. He knows and understands all of the mysteries of everything. He had the kind of faith that raised people from the dead. But he used none of it to flaunt himself. He gives it to us as a gift. He gives us the gift of faith, the kind of gift that gives us life and love instead of the nothing, the emptiness of flaunting. Sacrifice? Jesus gives himself as our one and only sacrifice to pay for our sin. That he would rejoice over us and, being, and bring us into his family. Jesus alone is always and only patient and kind and truthful. Jesus alone is always and only the one who meets us in the midst of our sin and brokenness and speaks his death and life into our hearts. Jesus alone perfectly sits with us as we process life and says, I'm here with you. I haven't left you. I never will. My kindness leads you to repentance. The truth of my death and resurrection give you forgiveness and life. Jesus even sits with us as we process life and says, what a joy it is to sit with you and be with you and watch you grow in my love. Do we believe that? Do we believe that Jesus sits with us and says, what a joy it is to be with you? Do I believe that? I find oftentimes I get so caught up in in, in my own head and in my own sin that, that I forget that Jesus has actually died for it and brought forgiveness and looks at me with a smile upon his face. Jesus never resents us. Never. He's never annoyed by us. He doesn't just wish that you would go away. But he invites you in and he sits there with you and with me and he laid down his rights and took up the responsibility of going to the cross. And it's on the cross that we see verse 7 totally played out. Bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things, enduring all things. Surely Jesus bore our sin. He believed that the Father's plan and love for him and for us was real. And that it actually meant something. And that it's going forth and it's accomplishing something. His hope was rooted in God's love. He endured the cross that we would know and experience the incorruptible love of God. And Jesus is at work forming that very same incorruptible love in you and in me. Jesus is at work in our hearts and our lives to make us the kinds of people that genuinely desire to be with others as they process life and everything that's happening around them. Jesus is at work in mine and your heart to remind us 
that we too have our own process. That we too have to have people be patient with us. Jesus is, is really and truly working in your heart and in my heart to genuinely lean into the midst of sin and brokenness with the beauty and truth of God's love for us in Christ and the gospel. To work out of us just looking over sin and to work out of us holding sin in front of somebody's face. Jesus is working all of those things that love is not out of us and all of those things that love really and truly is into us, making us the kinds of people who want to bear each other's burdens together, making us the kinds of people who believe that Jesus really and truly is coming to make all things new. He is working into us to be the kind of people who place our hope alone in what Christ has already done and not so much in what we are bringing to the table. And Jesus is working into us to be the kinds of people that endure, that wait, knowing that the world to come is so much better than anything we can see right in front of our faces. A more excellent way Not our way, but the way of love. The love of Jesus that bears all things, that believes all things, that hopes all things, and endures all things for you and for me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would impress upon our hearts this morning that our Savior loves us, that He wants to be with us, that You want to be with us, that You rejoice over us with gladness, that You will sing over us, that Your smile is upon us and You will give us Your peace. And all of that has been purchased in Christ. We pray this morning that You would make us the kinds of people who focus on Jesus and what He has done and not on ourselves and what we somehow bring to the table with gifts and knowledge and sacrifice, but that we would see that this passage is really and truly all about Jesus and His way, the way of love. Holy Spirit, do this work in us. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.